The Numinous Podcast with Carmen Spaniola. Hi there, and welcome to a Numinous Podcast special edition three part mini series called Healing the Abandonment Wound. I delivered this lecture at the Canadian Association of Clinical Hypnotherapists Conference in 2014, and I'd like to address something before we begin. Throughout this lecture, I'm speaking to a live audience about trauma, but I sound like a giddy adolescent at her sweet 16, and I just want to explain the reasons for that. First of all, this is an audience of my peers, uh, some of whom I know quite well, and uh, many of whom I've, I've heard about and, and sort of known professionally in a collegial kind of manner over a period of time. So coming together at the conference and having an opportunity to share with uh, them my work for 90 minutes was pretty exciting, but also it was the largest audience to that point with whom I'd shared my therapeutic approach. And it's a very exciting thing to synthesize research and spend time exploring and experimenting with practical application with your clients in one-on-one or group settings, but then to share your findings and experience so far with regards to best practices as applied to your specific modality and profession uh, was, I guess, just something that was really getting the best of me. And I was pretty darn excited that day. But I recognize that, of course, trauma is a serious subject. And I have some serious research that I drew on to develop this approach. And what you don't hear in the beginning of this lecture is the part where I shared the handout with the uh, reading and some resources. For this opening portion, this first half hour of the 90-minute lecture, I want to share with you some of the foundational research that I was drawing on. The first is an excellent paper called The Roots of Addiction in Free Market Society by Bruce Alexander. He did this paper for the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, and it's about uh, the approach uh, and policing of drug addiction in Vancouver's downtown east side. You can go to brucealexander.com to get more information and to download that paper. And if you don't find it easily on his website, just Google it, The Roots of Addiction in Free Market Society. This was a paper I'd read several years ago, I guess maybe seven years, eight years ago now, it being 2016. And it really was like suddenly seeing a constellation in the night sky. You know, you look up and you see all these different points of reference and they're seemingly unrelated. And then suddenly you see the Big Dipper. And once you see it, you can't not see it again. And it helps you locate yourself. And so for me, this was a very locating uh, frame of reference for all of my professional work that followed around abandonment, addiction, and attachment. Bruce Alexander is also famous for his Rat Park experiments in the 1970s and 80s, which the internet has recently made famous through the excellent comic uh, graphic novel work of StuartMcMillan.com. So again, if you just uh, Google Rat Park graphic novel or Rat Park comic, you'll be sent to stuartmcmillan.com. And it's a very easily digestible way to understand the impact of Bruce Alexander's work. 
The second uh, piece that was very influential on how I use hypnotherapy to address the abandonment wound, um, not because he talks specifically about hypnotherapy, but because uh, he gets to underlying causes, is Dr. Gabor Mate and his book, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, Close Encounters with Addiction. You can find out more about Dr. Gabor Mate's work at his website, drgabormate.com. It's G-A-B-O-R-M-A-T-E. Finally, the book that pulled this all together that I would probably credit with saving my marriage because she she did that for me uh, was Journey from Abandonment to Healing by Susan Anderson. Now, those are the foundational pieces. And of course, this is just one sort of slice of looking at abandonment and and addiction and all sort of forms of recovery. Uh, But I wanted to give you those resources to start, start out with because you may have a lot of questions as to how I came to this therapeutic approach. Again, very influenced by Susan Anderson, uh, Bruce Alexander, and Dr. Gabor Mate. In the second and third parts of this mini-series, I have more resources for you because this beginning foundational piece, you know, once you're located in this kind of structural framework of understanding addiction and attachment and abandonment, you are left with questions, well, what do we do now? And and also you start to notice the impacts in other areas, um, sexuality, uh, interpersonal relationships, um, you know, childhood uh, trauma, developmental trauma, PTSD, all kinds of things open up. So there are more recesses, uh, resources coming in episodes uh, two and three of this three-part mini-series. But for now, let's begin. Again, this is Healing the Abandonment Wound, a lecture I delivered in 2014. <laughs> Hi there, thank you for coming. My name is Carmen Spaniola, and the session today is Healing the Abandonment Wound, a five-step process. I just want to contextualize this. It's not that you can heal the abandonment wound in five sessions. (laughs) It's that there's five stages. So uh, you you will naturally need to follow the client's pace for this. I'm super excited to share abandonment work with you. (laughs) I can just start with that. And it makes me think of uh, kind of a fable. It's not really a quote about Carl Jung and when he would have clients come to him and say, I'm in the depths of despair. I don't know if I can go on. And the the fable about Carl Jung is that he would say, let's get some champagne because something's happening. This is great. You're having an opening. And then when his clients would come back to him and say, like, oh, my gosh, you've helped me so much. I, I'm, I'm so appreciative. Everything is so much better. He'd say, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> because, of course, uh, when you hit a core wound, something that underpins so many other uh, layers of dis-ease on the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual levels, uh, for... For me, as a therapist and as a healer, I don't consider myself a healer, but somebody who wants to help uh, move people through, I, I get like super excited about getting into the meat of this. So if at the end of the session you don't recognize a deep void of abandonment within you, then my condolences because uh, <laughs> something awesome can come from that. 
Uh, so let me contextualize what I'm talking about with the abandonment wound. And uh, I want to invite you to think about the clients that you're working with or yourself and notice how many of the issues you've been working with find a root, a tap root within an abandonment uh, occurrence, or as you will see, there doesn't need to be an initial sensitizing event. So I'm gonna contextualize the references that I've been bringing together and working with more or less quite, um, uh, with some passion and gusto for about 18 months and working with clients. Question. Need more oh wow, there's so many keeners here. Uh, how, many, how many do you need? I'll ask the hotel. Thank you. Uh, yes. Who needs a handout still? Just two. Oh, three. well, then you know three. what? Oh, three. Okay, yes. We need more. Three? Yeah. Thank you, Heather. Yeah. We are keeners. Keeners. Love it. <laughs> I did, yeah, I really, I didn't think abandonment was, so many people were going to be as joyful and excited about abandonment as I am. Well, we're <laughs> 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 this is my people. Uh, okay. So the work that I've been bringing together, I mean, it's a given that, of course, we, you know, it's heal or heal thyself, right? We're all going through our own processes and uh, through our own traumas and journeys, we're learning, okay, this is something that I can use to help somebody else. Um, so naturally, I, I found myself um, gravitating towards pretty cutting edge thinkers, people who kind of had the same gestalt as me, who, who were really synthesizing disparate elements into what is this lingering sense of uh, sort of almost just chronic dissatisfaction in my life. And I could easily count, well, it's this incident, it's that incident, it's this, da, 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 da. And you do the therapy and, and things improve and they get better, but, but there's still a little something, a je ne sais quoi. And then I, I could chalk it up to, well, and I'm, I'm an entrepreneur, and we just have a sort of penchant for dissatisfaction because we're always striving and we're always like wanting things to be better than they are. You know, many of us become entrepreneurs because we think, well, that person's an idiot, and I could do that better, and so we, you know, we go for it. So, so of course, we accept in our culture that this is just the way things are, and that started to become very dissatisfying for me because I started to notice pathology within the culture that no one individual and no one event could really explain. And I'm gonna go into this more later, but uh, as I came across the works of three very influential um, researchers and therapists and doctors, I started to tie it together and I would go through their books that are quite seminal works, and I would substitute a different word. So instead of addiction, I'd put abandonment, or instead of abandonment, I'd put spiritual depression or something like that. And I'd just be like, this is like seeing the matrix. I can see how the pathology is working. Now, I personally, just for some background, for those of you who don't know, uh, I specialize in uh, spiritual growth and therefore, of course, stuckness and emergence. And so working with spiritual depression and helping people to reconnect uh, and address the spiritual void in their lives, uh, I, I found that uh, there were many things that I had to learn and reclaim and teach myself that I could teach them and they would have this sense of reconnection. Uh, however, there's, if you have a spiritual life, and I would submit to you that you do, even if you're an atheist, 
I would submit to you that you do, and we can, we'll get into this a little later, but uh, then you have to entertain or be willing to entertain that you can be living with the trauma of something, the memory of it, of something that you never personally experienced, that there is no initial sensitizing event. And so as I started to read the current science and the neurology on addiction and abandonment and other things, I started to realize they're not addressing the spiritual level here, and that's so key. So in my work, I always take a transpersonal approach. I'm always looking to address what is going on for the client at the physical, the emotional, the mental, and the spiritual level. And so we cannot, in addition to that, we cannot take the individual outside of what's going on for the culture. I'm just letting you know that your feeling of being left out was the first step of healing that event. Yes, that's right. Come back into the fold. Now that you have your hand out, you are with us and the attachment is strong. We're going to talk a lot about attachment. Okay. So as I was saying, we tend to focus on the individual in our therapeutic practice. Of course, that makes sense. That's who's paying us, right? That's what we're there for. That's what we're attending to. However, we can't take them out of their environment. So we look at family of origin, we look at work, we look at relationships and all of those things. We have to look at what's going on in the greater culture as well. But one of the things that becomes problematic is when you live within a traumatized culture, which is what every one of us does. Some of us, particularly visible minorities, live in an even more traumatized culture. So you cannot expect an individual to come to healing without acknowledging what a tough row it is when their culture is so traumatized and elevates the individual as the ultimate solution every time. You know, rugged individual, pick yourself up, your bootstrap, you know, we celebrate that. So here's the references that I have cited that you can, uh, that I encourage you to uh, pursue. The first two that I cite is from Dr. Bruce Alexander, and he's local, hooray. He's an incredible researcher, and he wrote a paper, which I brought, because anyone else gets really geeked up about this stuff, <laughs> and it's called The Roots of Addiction in Free Market Society. It's not very big. It's actually, you know, it's kind of just a summary of his years and years of uh, research. This is where the cultural piece comes in. He did a lot of consultation with the police, the governments, et cetera, on what's going on in the downtown east side, so just blocks from us. He also did a, a paper called Addiction, the View from Rat Park. Many of you, this has sort of had a resurgence on like the Huffington Post <laughs> lately. There's been a few different articles floating around. He did that in like the 80s. and. Um, and Gabor Mate wrote about it uh, partially in the realm of hung hungry ghosts in 2000 or something like that, 2005 maybe. In Rat Park, Bruce Alexander breaks down how individuals who are isolated have a much higher vulnerability and susceptibility towards addiction. I'm going to bring these, these threads all together, but I just want to help you contextualize that when you hear addiction, hear abandonment every time. And when you hear addiction, don't just think drugs and alcohol. 
Think iPhones. Think work. Think porn. <laughs> think uh, perfectionism. Okay? So we have to cast a wider net with our labels. So then in the realm of Hungry Ghosts, Dr. Gabor Mate, also working in the downtown east side, was uh, bringing together the threads of neurology with pathology and culture. Through all of this, starting to recognize in my own life and in relationship, of course, where, where my abandonment wound comes from, it's like really obvious for me. But I started to notice the uh, expressions of abandonment in my loved ones and started to notice how people can be very highly functioning and not addicted at all and have perfectly, sounds like they have really great upbringings. And, you know, and so it's really easy to look at the person who's grew up in an alcoholic family or whose parent left or who had divorced when they were 15 or whatever and say, okay, well, that's your issue. But our culture is so stealthy and insidious and rewards people whose wounds is to overcompensate for abandonment. So when you bring up the topic with them, there's quite a lot of resistance. <laughs> you know, there's sort of no outward evidence that should support this, but there is uh, the expressions of it everywhere. And you'll notice as we go through that abandonment is not a condition. It's a continuum. And the continuum is between withdrawal and pursuit. So we all land on it, just so you know. <laughs> we all land on it. The question is, how are we coping? Who's in charge, the individual or the behavior? So the piece that isn't referenced in here that heavily influences as much as these things is my own work helping to train people to access their intuition. So everybody is intuitive. And, you know, we sort of take it for granted. Maybe not everybody takes it for granted, but I certainly do, that we're all born intuitive. But what has uh, come out of my methodology, because I'm a very methodical person, uh, just if you can't tell or if you don't know, I'll just tell you my abandonment wound tends to swing pretty hard towards perfectionism. So I want to learn how to do things right, well. So I type A, total research, you know, practicum. So when I was teaching people intuition, I'm quite methodical. And so I created this tool to help assess how people's intuition was expressing and where it was latent and active in their lives. So it's kind of like a Myers-Briggs. So you're familiar with that, that you know, you take a questionnaire and it sort of tells you, oh, you're an ENFP and that means this. Similarly, since we're all physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually intuitive, and each of those styles of intuition presents differently, it can be helpful to have it reflected back to you if you're a person who thinks, well, I'm not very intuitive at all, that actually you are intuitive, but for instance, you might be a mental intuitive, meaning you intuit logic. A person like you would probably never use the word intuition because you're an engineer. You know, you're a physicist. You can intuit the whole of things, and so having to break it down for people is just like really irritating, right? So you wouldn't, and you wouldn't get into, uh, you know, airy-fairy stuff, you know? However, what we know about the neurology is that like, there's very little conscious cognitive functioning. There's very little free will. There's, you know, so even people who are uh, highly oriented towards the mental faculty 
are functioning in a kind of flow that is intuitive. What I noticed is that most people generally tend towards, and, and I did a, a, quite a lot of surveys, so I've certainly had at least 100 people take my survey now. Uh, and, it, and, it's, it, and, it, and it honed early on, but now I'm pretty locked on. <laughs> most people are fairly balanced between emotional and physical intuition. So pretty nebulous kind of stuff, but like we have some sense of it doesn't feel right here in our bodies, or we kind of have a certain sense of emotional intelligence reading between the lines of people's um, vocabulary, that sort of thing. However, it's a continuum. Two ends of the spectrum, there's always outliers. There's the mental intuitives who don't really come to me, <laughs> right? They're just not interested in hypnotherapy. Uh, not so much, anyway. Uh, and, and everybody is a blend, let me just say that. Everybody has a little bit of everything. But there's the spiritual intuitives at this other end. And boy, did I ever notice the wounds of abandonment in them. But as a spiritual intuitive, having that certain way of being in the world, doing a lot of past life regression and things like this, it was like, wait a second, I'm seeing something else. And I'm going to get more into it later. But I, I just want to preface a lot of what I'm telling you that uh, it's been uh, road tested <laughs> through my clients in all kinds of areas, uh, even ones who are highly functioning. I've worked with people who are on the woo-woo, total woo-woo end of the spectrum, and also people who are uh, quite detached from that. And the abandonment wound expresses in so many forms, so many forms. And the process for addressing it is the same every time, every time. And it's important to address the physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual level every time. And you'll see as we go through that that is one of the ways in which we connect with what's going on culturally. So we're looking at this from not just many angles, but layers and dimensions, okay? So I put on the first page of your handout there the stages of abandonment, and that comes directly from Susan Anderson, who did Journey from Abandonment to Healing, which is more focused on relational abandonment. So her book tends to focus on relationships, but it goes into family of origin, et cetera. And so I'm, and then the therapeutic approach uh, is, is partly taken from that, partly taken from 12 steps, partly taken from a few other things. And we'll see how hypnotherapy is incredibly useful at every step, even though nobody in the list would ever talk about it. You know, we'll talk about mindfulness and things like this, but boy, as hypnotherapists, can we ever accelerate the healing that enables coping with the abandonment wound, which of course never goes away. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. You can't actually undo that. You can just be, have a healthy relationship with it, right, that, that helps you function. So we will actually come to each of the stages of abandonment, the, the swirl, uh, which is like a pretty good way of describing it, like everything's falling apart when you become aware of your abandonment wound, and then the five R's of the therapeutic approach, kind of at the end. But let's first talk about what is the abandonment wound. So abandonment is the gap between what you need and what you get. And sometimes it's a big gap and it's so big, we're, we're so far away from what we need, we don't even relate to it as abandonment anymore. 
Because when you, your default has to become so self-sufficient because you know your needs are never going to get met, why would you ever think about your needs again? That's just going to be one more thing you have to take care of yourself, right? So the abandonment wound, the term will not resonate with many people who have it the most profoundly. So it arouses this primal fear that we have in infancy and childhood of being left alone to fend for ourselves. And I may trigger a bunch of the cry it out people in this room, and I don't care. So the, uh, the abandonment wound is cumulative. So every loss, every betrayal, every disappointment, every time you were left outside while your parent was supposed to pick you up <laughs> from school or like whatever, uh, every breakup, whether it was, you know, and again, we, we talk about this as hypnotherapists, whether it's conscious you know that that's ridiculous. That was, you know, I was just thinking about this in the last session with Sylvia. I was supposed to be thinking about something good. I was like outside on the ball field as a kid. And what came to my mind instantly? That game when I was like 12, when uh, there was a pop fly, and I probably should have tagged up and not run, but I ran anyway, thinking she'd never catch it, and I was thrown out. And that ended that game. We never got into the finals. Why would I think about that just then, right? <laughs> it's just like perfectionism, perfectionism, you know? So every shame, every, every trigger, it's all still there, right? Just underneath the surface. So uh, unconsciously or, or sometimes consciously, we become aware of it, all of those events can trigger the primal abandonment wound of being left alone to fend with yourself. So let's think at many levels here. What does that mean culturally? I'm just positing that to the side. So you have individual experiences, but how does that scale up to our collective unconscious, the fear of being left alone to fend to ourselves? Okay, so it's important to recognize that rather than dissipate over time, the feelings incubate. We know this as <laughs> hypnotherapists. It's almost too obvious to say. Uh, but it's also important to recognize, even though I'm going to actually read out the list here, uh, just for the sake of video, uh, that abandonment isn't always about what happened to you. It's also about what never happened to you or for you. So that's why there's this vague feeling of insecurity, lack of self-worth, low self-esteem. Why, why didn't you choose me? Why didn't you, where were you? Okay, vague, very vague initial sensitizing events here, right? Because nothing happened. That's the problem. It's the gap, it's the void. So abandonment can be, as I say right away, and as in the case of spiritual abandonment, a feeling without an initial sensitizing event. And I'm gonna talk about the brain uh, in a little bit. It can be traumatic birth. It can be a parent leaving their child or a child leaving home at any age, the baby unattended, but also benign parental neglect. So meaning your parent was there, but they were stressed, depressed, perhaps occupied with another sibling. And these things just get com compounded if, for instance, uh, you have um, someone else that you perceive to be more vulnerable than you. So if that sibling has special needs, you don't feel you have the right to feel abandoned, right? Any aloneness, not by choice. 
So being single for a long time becomes an abandonment wound that it's like a sucking, gaping wound, right? Breakup, divorce, or loving someone who doesn't love you back. Again, it's the, it's the absence of something happening. Feeling deserted by a friend, a pet dying. Certainly death of a loved one. Um, child's restlessness due to the emotional unavailability of a parent. ADHD, anyone? Right? Uh, teenage heartbreak. Any social rejection or outcast status. Try being gay and 12, right? Uh, public shaming by an authority figure. Uh, Linda was talking about this in her uh, session about the teacher who's like, wow, your writing is terrible. Or, you know, somebody, I remember, so this is like intensely personal, but I remember walking by my mom when I was about 12 years old and I'd never had like a body image issue. I'd never noticed if my mother had a body image issue, but she was talking on the phone to a relative that she was close to, but I wasn't. And I walked by her and she said, wow, Carmen, are you ever getting a pot belly? Just came out of her mouth on the phone with somebody else. And we both, like it was a weird moment where both my mom and I, it was like the first time I'd ever heard any kind of uh, body shaming. Like, I'd never heard it ever in my life, and I wasn't aware at that time of media influence and all that sort of thing. And uh, it, it, it just it sort of stuck and was such a uh, pattern interrupt in our relationship. And interestingly, <laughs> many years later, we were both at some weekend workshop together. This is like 20-something years later. And uh, <laughs> we're doing a sort of visualization, and somebody's facilitating us and I'm the one in it, and it surfaces this memory that I'd never thought of before. And my mom says, under her breath, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> so my mom is a really lovely person. But like, you know, it's like it, the stuff comes out of you. You don't realize you have your own trigger. She saw me, and she was, she was 12, right? She was 12. Her mother was a beauty salon. She was a beautician. Right? All sisters, everybody. She was always the pretty one. Like, I can just see it now that uh, hurt people hurt people. Not intended. And there it is. And so how do we move through? We all have these things. Uh, so stricken by disease while others go on with their lives. So it's not even the disease. It's the alone and fend to myself, meaning the aloneness. It's the psychosocial the disintegration of the psychosocial, and we'll talk about integration a bit later. Um, workplace disempowerment, stress, discontent, and job loss. It's, it's so insidious. Financial instability, living in poverty or through bankruptcy, redundancy or retirement, prolonged illness, relocation, living as a cultural minority. This is not my place. This is not how I live. This is not, you know, where are my people? Displacement from homeland, isolation from family, culture, or spiritual community, and spiritual bereftness, meaning you had something and then lost it. You had an intimate connection with spirit, and then for whatever reason, you feel flat. Maybe you're depressed or whatever, but it's the loss of that that becomes the void. So here's the thing. I just told the story about my mom. Here's the thing with abandonment. We are abandoning people all the time without realizing it. Right? Nobody intends to make somebody feel outside the tribe. 
Nobody, I don't think so anyway. Nobody who's coping and, and functioning. And one of the things that doesn't happen to us with the abandonment wound usually is apology or closure, right? We're, we're meant to kind of like find closure within ourselves. And so as hypnotherapists, we can facilitate that through a lot of different therapies. But one of the things we don't seem to, uh, as a culture, value is that sometimes just the acknowledgement is the healing. So one of the ways I like to explain this is, because uh, some people say, like, well, you know, I, you know, my mom, of course, apologized for that incident, of course, and I can see where her pain comes from. But that's a mental level processing of what's going on. So going into trance and doing it in hypnotherapy was such a totally different experience. And it was such a, a, a great analogy, and I use it with people all the time. And it's that if you were in a cafe, you know when you like get your coffee from the counter and then you go to the cream and sugar area, and you know, let's say you're there and you bump into somebody and you spill your coffee on them. Of course, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, I totally didn't mean to do that. And here's some napkins. And here, you know, like, can I pay for your dry cleaning? Or just like, oh, I'm so sorry. And the recipient would be like, yes, uh, well, thank you know, I, I know you didn't mean to. And um, thank you. You know, you might be pissed at first, like, geez, watch where you're going or whatever. But it's like, oh, sorry. That's just what happens. And we kind of have this tacit acknowledgement now between us that there was no intention, even though there was impact. And that's really a difficult thing to cope with on our, uh, by ourselves, is this notion that you know, our parents did not intend to do this, but there was an impact. And nobody ever says, I'm sorry I spilled my coffee on you, right? Like it's just, it hardly ever happens. So when we're working through all of the symptoms that people have and the, the behaviors that they're coming to us for, one of the things that's so important for us to recognize is that it feels really good to have somebody say, I'm so sorry I spilled my coffee on you. And that's a really good place to start. <laughs> so we'll get through that uh, in the therapies. But intent versus impact is a really important thing to keep in mind. No culture really that has any compassion is intending to make people feel outside or that sort of thing um, in, in normal circumstances, but there's still impact that we all have to deal with and work with, and this is why the process is so valuable. You've been listening to part one of a special Numinous podcast, three-part mini-series called Healing the Abandonment Wound, a lecture I delivered in 2014 to the Association of Clinical Hypnotherapists. And I hope you can hear how easy it is to extrapolate beyond our personal wounds to our collective trauma and how it's expressed in Western culture. And this is why this work has been so transformative, not just for me personally and professionally, but really as a citizen. In part two, we'll begin to discuss specific stages of the abandonment crisis and the approach I take when working with clients. I'll also offer additional resources for further reading and deeper understanding. As always, I truly appreciate you listening and supporting the podcast. And until next time, take care.